I'm Jill Dittmeyer, and this is Curious Mix. Listen in as we meet the people and explore the places and programs celebrating the arts and culture in our communities. Keep your ears open for these sounds and the stories behind them. doesn't love a happy ending, especially when that journey of hard work pays off for the people on the path and those who encounter them along the way. Such is the story of Evelyn Velos. Her family immigrated to Indiana from Mexico when she was a young girl. They wanted to live their American dream and open a restaurant, a place where they could stay connected with their homeland by sharing the flavors and traditions of their cuisine. Evelyn's parents did start a business, a commercial cleaning company. She and her sisters and parents worked tirelessly for years, saving money and searching for the right place to make their dream restaurant a reality. And in May of 2017, they did just that when they purchased Agave Bar and Grill on Main Street in downtown Carmel. My name is Evelyn Velos. I am the general manager for Agave Bar and Grill in Carmel. I am 26. I've been a server before at Longhorn Steakhouse, McKinsey's, Pizzeria, and serving, hosting, and now I'm running Agave. So it's a family-owned business. We're co-owners with my sister and my parents. We started with commercial cleaning uh, business, and then my mom has always, you know, loved cooking, and then she found a friend that was actually selling agave, and then, um, yeah, we uh, saved up enough money to buy agave a year ago, and then here we are a year later, trying hard every day. My name is Rosa Santa Olaya, and I found that. Agave and I buy it <laughs> because uh, when I come to Mexico, all my family is over there, and we try to put my family up. She she does a little bit of everything. Everything. Yeah. Clean the tables. Clean the bag when we. In the restrooms. Everything. Mom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> my sister, she's a server. Her name is Cynthia. She's co-owner. Um, but yeah, so she, and then I have my younger sister that works part-time here. I have my cousin that's a server. Um, I have my brother that cleans tables. And then we have a lot of family friends that when we told them about our dream, they decided to, you know, follow us too as well. And they're servers um, as well here. So like I said, we have a little bit of, of everyone here in our family working with us. How do you walk that fine line between being a family member and a business owner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a challenge, I tell you that, just because um, I'm a perfectionist, and you know, you, I have to remind myself, you know, that they're family too, you know, and, but I mean, we, we make it work. At the end of the day, we love each other, and you know, it's work, work is work, and you know, family is family, and yeah, it's, it's worked so far, so. <laughs> Our goal has always been to show everyone our culture through our food. Rafael Santos, yeah. I'm, a, I'm cooking. I'm cooking all the food. I cook in fajitas, uh, I cook in quesadillas, burritos, 
uh, everything, a little bit, uh, chili rellenos <laughs> and chimichangas and uh, taco salad and um, seafood. Pozole, um, we are gonna, ¿cómo se llaman los, lo que? Sopes. Sopes, yeah, so we're definitely gonna bring something up. We're from Toluca, so we're trying to bring, you know, yeah, all our, food. yeah, our, our new food, our homemade food, and we're sticking to the menu that they had before, just because the people here love it, and we love it too, but we also want to introduce them to new, to new food. We are making our uh, popular dish. One of our popular dishes is chicken fajitas, and we put it on our on our grill top. And it has um, tomatoes, green peppers, onions. Ah, uh, it's the ingredients that we use, the seasoning that we use. Yeah, so it's top secret. <laughs> the same make in Mexico. This is our dream. The, the first year was very hard. It, it was hard. It was tough. Yes. You know, we, we we learned a lot and it, well, they, like the people. Yeah, we, we love the people here. Um, they love our food and they keep coming back and when we tell them it's a family owned business, you know, it, it kind of brings us a little bit closer to them. La receta para esto le dije que es un secreto. By the way, those fajitas and many other dishes on their menu get rave reviews from the Yelp online community, where ordinary eaters recommend the tastiest places in town. It's summertime and the living is easy. Unless you're a pig, because there are a lot of barbecues going on out there. That's Matthew Sosi snickering there. It's time for our chat with Matt. And you know what I'm talking about, Matt. I'm talking about it's like barbecue season, and they always pair barbecue with beer and, of course, blues. First off, no no offense, Wilbur. <laughs> you're just delicious and humble. But, but so. boy, talk about the blues, beer, and barbecue, a big summer series going on in the, the town of Cumberland, That's east right. of Indy. That's right. Done, they did one last month with uh, with uh, Duke Tomato. And uh, so they've been doing about one show a month. And uh, for June 30th, they have a, a three three bands performing. Mm-hmm. And this is at the Saturn Space near Honors Park. This is uh, between uh, North Muncie and the town hall in Cumberland, so, okay. you know, just a little east of Indy, but uh, two really good locals and a, and a really good regional act. Uh, at four o'clock, of course, Gordon Bonham, uh, so he'll the, bring his guitar and The classic else. blues guy. Exactly. Local honey, never tasted anything so sweet. Local honey. Never tasted anything so sweet I've been all around the world Found it right here on my street so he'll be performing at 4 o'clock. Tad Robinson will be there at 6 o'clock so to bring some soul to the evening. The harmonica master, Tad Robinson. Right. 
heart Watch the tune before I go to bed What I see starts to worry me Looks like the doggone world has gone mad and then at 8 o'clock, this is a fascinating band if you've not seen them before. They're called Harper and Midwest Kind. And oh. Harper is a harmonica player from Australia, now living in Michigan. I've seen him countless times uh, playing in this in the central Indiana area. So he plays harmonica, plays a lot of – I would say he, he plays a lot of groove music. He studies the gospel according to Bill Withers, if you know hmm. who Bill Withers is. Sure. Lean on Me fame and others. And he's also been known to play a didgeridoo from time to time. So how now, often do you get to see that in a live festival setting? Yeah, and if somebody hasn't seen one or hasn't heard one, it's kind of this long pipe-like instrument that yep. uh, is like native – the native tribes of Australia. That's right. And uh, and and Harper's got the lungs to use it. Does anybody really care? No, no, no. So it's it's going to be a fun, fun evening. Fireworks are at 10 o'clock. And I guess full disclosure, on June 30th, uh, I'm emceeing. Um, some other acts coming in Cumberland on July 28th is Queen Delphine at 6 o'clock. My mama told me the day I was grown. She said, sing the blues, queen. Sing it from now on. August 25th, Nigel Mack and the Blues Attack, former Canadian resident now living in Chicago, plays harmonica, plays guitar, and sings. And if you ask him nicely, he'll do all three. And then September 29th, also at 6 p.m., Biscuit Miller and his band Biscuit in the Mix. Biscuit used to play with uh, Lonnie Brooks and Anthony Gomes. He, I would say he's a combination of uh, Saturday night, a little bit of Sunday morning, and then you get back into what you were doing Saturday night on Sunday afternoon. So a little funk, a little blues, a lot of fun. Outdoors and it's live. And there's just something magic about the blues done live. Yes. I uh, I have this thing when I do, you know, that other show on Saturday nights. I, I, I always go – when it's the dead of winter, I always kind of bang my shoe on the podium and say, this is the time to go see live music. Anybody can go to live music when it's warm. Well, now it's warm. So put up or – Go see live music. And there's, yeah, there's beer and there's barbecue. That's three of my favorite things not involving my family. <laughs> with, with all due respect. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Yep. Each week we bring you Making It, an audio postcard from an Indiana DIY or do-it-yourself artist making it on their own. This week, WFYI's Melissa Davis spends time with Indianapolis musician Justin Renner. 
He leads the indie rock band Hex Mundi, where he uses his theatrical background to create onstage artistry with his music. Making myself seem legitimate. No. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I can still hear your voice. <laughs> totally like not used to singing so quiet. I'm like, ah, my voice doesn't do the voice things. I feel like having come from a theater background, music has um, kind of become a new frontier for me. I mean, I've always been into it, but it's one of those kind of situations where I felt like I could apply everything I learned in theater to music in ways that I felt like weren't being done by as many people as I would like to see. Because I feel like you can kind of combine all the different mediums there if you approach it that way. Like, you can write your own music videos you can write your the songs you can write like you can come up with the photo shoot concepts and ideas so i approach music as um, more of a instead of a band leader more of a like artistic director Place, I would say place factors into my art. Um, sort of, it, it it depends from um, song to song or whatever project I'm. I mean, geography is obviously going to have like some sort of uh, limiting factor to what you're capable of producing. Um, like having like the people, like your collaborators that are really close, being able to actually be in the same spaces them is really really important um i mean you could do like the hey, we send stuff through the mail to each other the postal service kind of approach but i feel like there's something um really special about actually being in the same place as your your teammates and uh other than that i feel like uh like yeah region you know the region that we live in you know the midwest um it's nice because indy um has like, um, it's the crossroads of America, not to be cliche, but it really is. I mean, the 465 loop connects four of the biggest roadways in the entire country. So getting from one place to another place is really um, easy to do. So I think it has a pretty big uh, impact on us. What makes you keep going with your art? I would say what keeps pushing me forward to, you know, or keeping me from stopping really um, is that I don't feel like I have a choice you know I I, I just do write songs That's, I don't know what I would do otherwise like it's, it starts out as like therapy when I'm writing um, almost like trying to work through a problem myself but with the end goal being to shortcut like give a shortcut to other people the listener like say I this was really this really sucked I was having a hard time with this situation um, and like sorting out and like finding the right way 
for me to get over it so maybe they won't have to deal with the same nonsense for as long or um yeah so i guess it's it's multifaceted hex mundi shows often include oversized stage decorations and musicians dressed up in spacesuits do a, a shameless plug hi we're hex mundi you should listen to us please thank you <laughs> that's making it reported and produced by melissa davis you can see and hear more of hex mundi's music on our wfyi small studio session page Still to come on Curious Mix. He's got the beat. It's about uh, mental clarity and kind of um, keeping yourself on a a straight path to be, in in my perspective, be a better activist in the world at large. And they've got the meat. I think we'll get to hear some very delicious sounding, like, cracks. I mean, I think we'll get to, I don't know if we get to break bones apart or, you know, the wet noise of pulling meat off. I'm Jill Dittmeyer, and you're listening to Curious Mix. I'm Jill Dittmeyer, and you're listening to Curious Mix. How can a poem inspire a visual artist? Like this. Here's Curious Mix contributor Terry Border. We were down downtown last, I think it was last week, and we were walking down Mass Ave, and they've had that uh, mural uh, of Kurt Vonnegut for, I don't know, several years mm-hmm. down there, and it's, it's such a neat mural, three-story tall Kurt. A few years ago, uh, maybe it was last year, I'm not sure, Mari Evans, a, poem, a, a mural about her, uh, of her, appeared or across the street from him. She's also three stories tall and are wearing a, a big pink sweater, I believe it is, or jacket. And I had never, I'm, I'm afraid to say I, I have had not been familiar with her work. But so that I, intrigued you to find out it about it. It did. Her. It did. Uh, this, you know, big, beautiful African American woman up there, and why would somebody make a mural of her? So uh, we walked up to the foot of the mural, and it said uh, she was a poet. So I, I looked up some, and I thought it was only right. Then I read some poems here uh, on Curious Mix. Uh, she just died last year in 2017, and she was. Uh, 97 years old. She lived a rich life. Yeah. Talented I, woman. Sounded like it. Yeah. She taught several places and uh, won a lot of awards. She had lived in Indianapolis for, I don't know, many, many, many decades. years and inspired a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I picked a, a poem called, uh, Where Have You Gone? Where have you gone with your confident walk, with your crooked smile? Why did you leave me when you took your laughter and departed? Are you aware that with you went the sun, all light, and what few stars there were? Where have you gone with your confident walk, your crooked smile, the rent money in one pocket, my heart in another? Mm. And then because right across the street from uh, Mari... Is her neighbor. Yeah, you see her neighbor across the street, who is Kurt Vonnegut. Heck of a uh, neighborhood. He's more of a a writer of books, I suppose, and poems, but he's written a few. And, of course, Kurt is known for being a little bit uh, (laughs) dark of thought. and Rather a melancholy mind. Melancholy, (laughs) yeah. But I I found a poem 
that is included in his in a book, uh, Kurt Vonnegut Letters, which was uh, released after he passed, and uh, he wrote a poem to his friend Knox Berger in June of 1961. This this is so this was in a letter, and I. I here we are talking about it all these years later, and uh, it's kind of a, a I, I think it's a, a positive, optimistic poem as far as Kurt Vonnegut goes. <laughs> it, it, it surprised me. That's all I can say. It surprised me. Doesn't It's not even titled because it was in this, just a, in a letter. It starts, uh, two little girls, watchful and wise, clever little hands and big kind eyes. Look for signs that the world is good. Comport themselves as good folks should. They wonder at a father who is sad and funny strong, and they wonder at a mother like a childhood song. And what do the two think of? Of the sun and the moon and the earth and love. Oh, that is lovely. Yes, isn't that... Uh, They're uh, both poems about love, aren't they? Yes, they. that's true. That's true. One is love lost, and one is uh, maybe a little girl's in a... love appreciated. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it maybe maybe it's good that they're neighbors down there. I think so. That's Terry Border. He'll be back again next week with another off the wall poem. Indianapolis artist C.W. Mundy is somewhat of an artistic rock star. He paints and teaches in the Impressionist style. His work is owned by museums and private collectors all around the world. So why is he spending so much time at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis? Curious Mix contributor Bob Williams stopped by to find out why. I want to thank you all for coming. Uh, I hope this is going to be real exciting for you kids. What we're going to try to attempt to do today, and we're actually going to do it, is help you guys graduate from the visual uh, language that you have as just symbols. We're going to we're going to turn you guys into uh, the next level of artists. This is. The National Art Museum of Sport at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis is just inside the Riley Children's Health Sports Legends Experience. There we found Charles Warren Mundy, CW to the world, facing a daunting task, making master painters of about 20 elementary school children, some of whom came up from as far away as Evansville to study for an hour with this great American Impressionist. He's the Children's Museum's first visiting artist, and his first task, get his students focused, give them each a picture of an apple, and let them know that after he shows them how to paint it, they'll take a brush in hand and then get to work. And, and I'm only going to have four minutes to do it. <laughs> only four minutes and then after I get done then we're going to pass out the paint to you guys and then we're going to time you and you only have four minutes to do it then after we do that we're going to look at that and then we're going to do another one and then we're going to be done 
Much of Monday's early work, what put bread on the table and in their pockets, was illustration, mostly sports illustration. Think Norman Rockwell. But Monday hit a satisfaction stride emulating the greats of European canvas. We had a chance to talk about his direction, actually though not even his direction, but their direction, for he never even references his work as his. It's always ours, because his wife Rebecca is so integral to what he does. We told ourselves after 25 years of illustration of doing a Rockwell-esque style, if I could learn and do the studying, which I had done at an undergraduate and a master's degree, and then recently again when I started the fine art career, if we could attain to some very believable turn of the century, and I mean the 19th century, you know, the mid, mid to late 1800s, if we could emulate one of those styles that we really liked and we could carry that thread on that we said there would be no question in our mind that we would be able to have a career in this fine art market and that's exactly what was our goal and purpose is to go from what the great history of art had shown the public and try to pick out of that and and emulate that rather than being a fad or a trend. So are we all ready? Yeah. Everybody got their paintbrushes? On your mark. Get set. Stop. Uh, I got you, didn't I? Okay, on your mark. Get set. Go. All right, four minutes. What's your goal as artist in residence as you do these workshops and you work with children? Well, the greatest investment that I could do, even uh, more so, I'm here with my uh, wonderful assistant. Rita Spaulding, and uh, we, you know, we teach on a national level with adults. But this is really something special. I'm so excited that she wanted to uh, help me as an assistant to this project, is because the investment in the child is one of the greatest things. That generation uh, is, I am, in many estimations, I think a greater. Uh, pouring out into the artist of the child than it is the adult because the adult have different reasons other than the children don't really know what they may want to do and if you can inspire them and let them know that you know you actually if you work hard at it uh, now in America greater than it's ever been you can actually have a career and 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 live off of artwork. For the record, they sat down with the kids and painted the apple. Not once, not twice, but three times. Let's just say C.W. Mundy's artistic stature isn't in jeopardy. At least not for me. But oh, those kids. For Curious Mix, I'm Bob Williams. and vegetarians listen up or maybe don't as Curious Mix contributor Michael Atwood takes us to meat school at the Smoking Goose Meat Locker in downtown Indianapolis. My name is Jordan Strzok and we are here to have a lot of fun learning about butchering a whole hog. They came from far and wide. What's your name? Max McBride from Cincinnati. Wonderful. You came all the way from Cincinnati for this class? Yes, sir. Hi. 
Where, where'd you come from tonight? Chicago. You're from Chicago, okay. And right around the corner. Downtown Indianapolis, okay. Franklin. Franklin, downtown, Franklin. And downtown. And downtown. To witness and learn the time-honored craft that transforms a whole hog into tasty cuts of pork. My name is Ted Cleese. We're going to have a whole hog butchering class tonight covering a lot of the uh, basic cuts in a whole hog butchering process. Smoking Goose Meadery conducts meat classes on a regular basis. We kick things off with libations and a few moments to meet our fellow beginner butchers. What do you expect to hear tonight? Because it's, it's a radio thing, that's my angle. <laughs> Slicing noises? I think we'll get to hear some very delicious sounding like cracks. I mean, I think we'll get to, I don't know if we get to break bones apart or, you know, the wet noise of pulling meat off. You can use the sauce too. This just happens to be what we have on hand. It all started as a neighborhood butcher shop, Goose the Market. Then in 2011, Goose the Market's owner, Chris Ely, added a production facility, Smoking Goose which today sells their slow-cured, smoked, and other meats to carnivores throughout the country. So we are a USDA-inspected facility. The Smoking Goose facility is USDA-inspected, so we don hairnets, smocks, and the like before embarking on a brief tour. So this is our facility. Um, Tonight, we won't see how sausage is made. But we do see where it is made. We see smokers in the aging room where sausages, salume, and other cuts hang row after row after row, honoring traditions that reach back to antiquity. Then it's on to the cold and clean raw room to meet the star of the evening. The crowd is circling the hog, taking pictures. But one of tonight's budding butchers has already met our hog. In fact, he raised it. Raised there from start to finish. Caleb Pass raises heritage breeds on his family farm in Monticello, Indiana. I've been selling a few pigs here and there to Chris Ely for his goose to market business and the smoking goose. And so he invited me to attend the class this evening and uh, to help cut up one of my pigs. Vegetarian-fed, no antibiotics, no artificial growth hormones, nearly 300 pounds of pasture-raised goodness. Uh, it's a boning knife. This is going to do 90 or so percent of my work. Um, Our butcher, Ted, begins by teaching us a bit about knives and showing us how to position a hog for better butchering. Positioning and balance. And the first order of business, removing the hog's head. He's cutting off the hog's head while encouraging it to keep its head up. After some strategic slicing, feeling around between bone and muscle, and even more slicing, the honor of twisting and finally separating the hog's head from its body goes to Scott, who's right. celebrating his birthday. Come on over, birthday boy. Three, two, one. No. After that excitement, we take a short break. Uh, we have duck pear port, which is a fully cooked sausage. Jordan um, treats us to charcuterie and uh, other tasty morsels. Then it's back to our now headless hog to slice some serious cuts of meat. Next, our pig is split in half. Then Ted discusses various cuts and how they are extracted from our swine. 
ribs, loins, pork belly. Ted demonstrates what makes a ham a ham. Regular city ham out of it. I learned all of this on the spot here. I have done a million things and then I came in and learned all, everything that I know I've learned on the spot. A precise controlled flurry of activity. The final result? Ordered rows of fresh succulent pork. Smoking Goose's Jordan Strzok gets a little philosophical when thinking about the popularity of these classes. I'm realizing that time is circular, and so things come back in style. Our culture is, I think, we're just kind of trying to be more sustainable, more local, um, more hands-on, more DIY, instead of, if, you know, farming it out to big business. Um, I think people are, are wanting to get back to their roots a little bit, and um, I think learning a trade and learning a craft like this is a really good way to do that. No doubt, the do-it-yourself, hands-on approach to growing, raising, and preparing food is in the midst of a renaissance. But there is yet one more task for the evening, divvying up all this meat for participants to take home. What else did you get? Tenderloin? You got a piece of that tenderloin. That's a really nice piece right there. Um... I mean, you're from Indiana. I don't can't hammer it out, bread yeah. it, and make a Hoosier tenderloin. There we go. Can't beat that. Cool. For Curious Mix, I'm Michael Atwood. Uh, no animals were harmed in the making of the story. The pig was already dead. <laughs> Well, another of our regular Curious Mix contributors is Kyle Long. He hosts WFYI's Cultural Manifesto. This week, he opens our ears to straight-edge music from one of Indianapolis's experts. I'm Kyle Long from Cultural Manifesto. I'm here with Kurt Austin of Catalyst Records, an independent, straight-edge, vegan, hardcore record label that's been based in Indianapolis for a quarter of a century. That's a long time, Kurt. (laughs) (laughs) It is. That's a great accomplishment. I don't know of another label off the top of my head in indie that's been running that long. Well, it seems a lot longer when you talk about it than you (laughs) No, I I say that out of respect. (laughs) And uh, you brought five songs to share with us. I did. But uh, before we get into that, just briefly, I wondered if you wanted to mention, I I, I defined Catalyst as a straight-edge and hardcore label. What does that mean? Uh, Well, straight-edge is um, an ideology that came out of the punk and hardcore scene that is an abstention from uh, all um, drugs and alcohol. So it's uh, it's about uh, mental clarity and kind of... um, Keeping yourself on a, a straight path to be, in, in my perspective, be a better, uh, act, better activist in the world at large. Yeah, and hardcore music. Just how would you quickly describe? That? Uh, hard, hardcore is uh, is a it's a kind of like a side branch of punk music. It's a little more aggressive and a little more um, heavy uh, than uh, than your normal punk. So it's less. A lot of punk is a little more poppy and kind of hardcore goes more in the um, the heavy and kind of like the more uh, metal direction. And Kurt, in addition to founding Catalyst, you've also been in some hardcore bands, including Birthright. Right. Yeah, and uh, you're going to share five songs that I don't think are your own t- nope. today. <laughs> They're all, all of mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your first song for us? Uh, the first song is a uh, song called Shall Be Judged by a hardcore band called Burn. Oh, 
picked this song just because it's uh, a, it's one of my uh, probably favorite all-time hardcore bands. Um, and they're a band that kind of uh, musically push a little bit beyond what a lot of hardcore bands do. And then along with that, uh, I've always really loved these lyrics. It's about um, the, way we, uh, the way we use animals in our, in our world. The second pick is a song called uh, Come Back to Camden by Morrissey. Uh, and I picked this because um, the Smiths, especially, and also Morrissey's solo work has been a huge influence in my life. And uh, this song, I think, is especially um, great because it really, I think, is at like the peak of how he captures just kind of like these feelings of um, sadness or melancholy that I think a lot of artists really don't capture well. Or just it's very, these are very hard things for. A lot of musicians, I think, to capture really well, and I think it's important to have those kind of the kind of art out there because people feel these things all the time, and they're not often represented uh, the way you want to hear them in music. Uh, number three is a song called Stone Fist by Health. Um, and this is, uh, I really like this song because to me it's almost like a, a combination of two things that I really like, which is hardcore and kind of like a dark wave synth pop sound. So it's almost like a hardcore band mixed with Depeche Mode or something. Uh, so it's, it's really both heavy hitting, and then, but it also has a really uh, mellow sound at the same time. And the, uh, the fourth song is a song called Redefinition by Blackstar. And I wanted to add this uh, to my list uh, specifically to have a representation of um, kind of like underground hip hop on there. And it's Blackstar is just a phenomenal uh, project to begin with. And most Def's um, vocal style is amazing. And also there's a, there's a very um, tangible continuity between underground hip-hop and underground hardcore which i think really appealed has always appealed to me and the the politics and the ideas involved in both and my fifth song is a song called um, Currents by Still Corners. And this is kind of a a modern contemporary like synth pop uh, song from a, a newer band that I, that I just heard recently that I really love. Try to make it to tomorrow. 
Folks can find all the music you've released on Catalyst Records and your own projects, Birthright and Risen, at xcatalystx.com. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing this yeah, with you today. Appreciate it. Each week, Kyle explores the history, harmony, and humanity of Indiana music on Cultural Manifesto. You can hear it online or on 90.1, Wednesday nights at 8 and Saturday nights at 10. Just ahead on Curious Mix, we'll get the real heavy metal. When I start welding things together, I just start welding together and see what comes of it, you know. And uh, if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I take a torch and cut it back apart and try it again. But first... Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Thank you and good night. I'm Jill Dittmeyer, and you're listening to Curious Mix. I'm Jill Dittmeyer, and you're listening to Curious Mix. Most Elvis Presley fans think of Indianapolis as the place where the king of rock and roll performed his last concert 41 years ago this month. WFYI's Don Hibschweiler traces another indie connection to the king. June 26, 1977 is the date of Elvis Presley's last concert held at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. But Elvis's connection to Indy actually began two decades earlier and at a pivotal point in his career. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. It's December 1955. Elvis Presley was an extra attraction on a country and western package tour, appearing for four days at the Lyric Theater downtown. His rockabilly era with Sun Records was ending. Elvis had recently signed a contract with RCA Victor and would begin recording for them next month. RCA had been a major manufacturer in Indianapolis for decades. One of their three U.S. record manufacturing plants was located here on North LaSalle Street. On December 5, 1955, Elvis Presley toured the plant that would soon start churning out his records by the millions. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Nearly 22 years later, when Elvis arrived in Indianapolis for what would be his last concert, he was videotaped stepping off the plane to receive a plaque. It commemorates the two billionth record made at the RCA plant in Indianapolis. That milestone was reached during the pressing of his new album, Moody Blue. Following Elvis's death in August 1977, RCA faced a tsunami of demand for his records, but the company had curtailed its record manufacturing business, closing its other pressing plants in New Jersey and California. So to meet the demand, the Indianapolis facility worked 24-7 for the next seven months, making only Elvis Presley records. RCA isn't here anymore, and neither is MSA. Today, an Elvis fan's bucket list includes a visit to the southeast corner of Market and Alabama streets. That's where a granite marker was erected in 2002 to commemorate the King's final concert. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Thank you and good night. For Curious Mix, I'm Don Hibschweiler. There are superheroes everywhere, including the Circle City Industrial Complex. Curious Mix contributor Joy Hernandez takes us to the studios of metalworking artist Jeffrey Allen. I fell in love with it, and it was like this superpower. Like, like once I figured out how to weld, it was like, I can make anything. And so I felt like super excited about it, and I practiced and practiced and practiced, and uh, bent and welded and fabricated, and and uh, after about, well, it's over 20 years now, I think I've finally gotten pretty good at it. <laughs> well, somewhat good at it. He's humble. A tour of his recently opened adjacent gallery space reveals the results of all that practice. A gravity-defying naval mine sculpture sits in one corner. The mine appears to float when really it's held up by a welded chain that leads down to its anchor. An angelfish glides through the middle space. Allen says that the push-pull concept of man versus nature plays a strong role in his work. The whole image came from me. I was uh, spent some time sailing in, 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 in the water and the ocean a lot. And I always thought of these, like, how man-made versus nature. And here you have this, like, thing that can destroy an entire ship and cause all this chaos. But yet nature is slowly taking it back over. And you've got this beautiful angelfish using it for, for a little bit of a uh, structure, a little protection. So uh, this angelfish and in, 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 the, in the seaweed and everything is kind of using it as, as, as protection or a place to thrive. And in a moment's notice, it could just explode and kill everything. A former marine and yacht builder, his love for the ocean and for mythology comes together in the center of the space. A female torso built out of over 2,000 welded nuts rises off the table to form a water nymph. I'm very um, uh, focused when I, when I get on something and I, and I tend to do multiple projects at once. So if I get bored with one thing, I'll jump off to another thing and do multiple projects. Um, when, I, when I get really, really motivated and into something like, like this project here, um, over 2,000 nuts individually welded together. Um, I finished this project in like three months. And, and people are like, no way. Um, other projects uh, take me an extremely long time. Other pieces have a bit of a steampunk aesthetic. A fish with gears welded into its body and silverware handles as fins sits on a table. The wooden tabletop is locally sourced and it has what Alan calls bug legs. It feels like it might just walk away. He has his favorite materials, but many are more about opportunity. Copper and bronze. I've uh, poured, I, I do aluminum casting, some lost foam casting. I like kind of all metals. Uh, it's mostly just hot roll steel because it's cheap and, it, and it's easy to find, you know. Um, so a lot of times I'm using found objects, um, to, you know, starving artist. <laughs> I love it, you know, uh, working with steel, um, it, it can be brutal, right? It's dangerous, it's hot, it cuts you. You can do a lot with heat and steel. <laughs> and that's why I like, uh, uh, you know, steel, working with steel, because I kind of, I've worked with it so much, I can tell what temperature is, when it's going to bend good, when I can stretch it, you know, all sorts of different things. Back in the workshop, Alan is creating a wine cellar. 
and it looks like something, as I've been told, something like out of Harry Potter. <laughs> and I'm, I'm making it kind of, my, my idea with it is I'm having grapevines wrapping around the legs, coming up through. Um, it's going to have some wood around it, so it looks like a barrel. I'm currently taking rod, and I'm heating it and bending it to make the vines and little grape curls and stuff like that. He works off the cuff, making it up as he goes, working by feel in a way. I barely ever use a tape measure. I just kind of measure things by eye. Everything's pretty much done with just a piece of chalk and, and, and what I think. I don't use patterns. When I start welding things together, I just start welding together and see what comes of it, you know? And uh, if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I take a torch and cut it back apart and try it again. That fluidity and flexibility in his work also influenced Alan's approach to opening his gallery space. I was like, okay, I'm going to show it. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, I'm oh, sorry. And that's the one thing about art, you know, is you don't need any formal training. You don't really need, uh, you don't need to know who all the famous artists. When you go to, as just an observer to an art gallery or you just go somewhere to look at art, it doesn't matter who you are. If it gives you a feeling, well, then the artist did something. If you walk in there and it's like looking at a blank wall and you don't get any feeling from it, well, then the artist didn't do his job. But no matter what it is, even if it's a, a melted chunk of glob or whatever it is, if you get a feeling from it, that's all it is. That's all the artist wants to do is give you a feeling. Now, he might be directing you towards a certain type of feeling, and you might get the polar opposite of that feeling, but it worked. For Curious Mix, I'm Joy Hernandez. Curious Mix is made possible in part by the Arts Council of Indianapolis. Brandon Meeks composed and performs our music. And this Curious Mix was created by... Terry Border, Roxana Caldwell. Melissa Davis. Sarah Neil Estes. Kyle Long. Matt Pelser. Matthew Sosi. Bob Williams. Michael Atwood. Don Hibschweiler. Joy Hernandez. And me, Jill Dittmeyer. We'll be back again next week with more Curious Mix. Curious Mix.